Minding your own business, helping businesses overcome problems and improve performance with Graham Knight and Richard Forkan. Right, podcast number eight. Number um, eight this, this, one, this one is key. This is people. Yeah. So any business, good people tend to be good business. Bad people tends to be a bad business. And it all starts with recruiting. Where do you, where do you get them from? How do you find them? And then how do you keep them, I suppose, is the key question. I mean, there's obviously change over time in the recruitment agencies. Um, now are more in play. Um, people look at LinkedIn to see if they can search people or find people on LinkedIn. Often recruitment companies look in LinkedIn. I suppose the good thing about LinkedIn is that you may find people who are already employed as opposed to the traditional way where you're basically trying to match people who were unemployed for whatever reason and were looking for a job. So you might be able to tease people out from where they are currently into a, another employer if the offer was right. I think you, you do have to put in place a very robust recruitment process. So you need to expose people to different members of the team, people they're going to be working with, so people can check them out for team fit. Sometimes you can test them technically if they're in IT, for example, just to make sure you've got um, some idea as to what their understanding is of certain terminology because people will put all the different abbreviations on their CV and sometimes that masks the fact they don't actually know what some of these things mean. It's just terms they've got you used to so the more you can check people out before they join and then of course when they join it's all about onboarding them in in a way which finds that they're recognized when they arrive they've got their own desk hopefully um, with their own laptop all set up and maybe a welcome message from the md and so they feel valued from the time that they actually walk through the door and then over a period of the first few months that they're checked out for whether they've got the technical knowledge they said they had, whether they're able to deliver what they said they would, because you have a very short period of time to assess people on a probationary period, whether it's three months or potentially six months. It's interesting right now, isn't it? Because you've got, I mean, if, if COVID did anything to the employment world, if you like, it turned it on its head. It's changed the environment from maybe an employer-led um, market to what is the most candidate-led I've ever seen in my lifetime. We've got the highest employment we've ever had, I think, and you've got candidates who, because of COVID, have now worked out that actually perhaps I can operate without committing 80% of my life to an office and a commute. So they're making ever more what you could say, sort of stretching demands of employers. I don't want to be in the office. I don't want to work standard hours. I don't want to have to come to you for meetings. Things like Teams and Zoom have allowed much more flexibility in what people do, certainly in in the services industry. I've I've done quite a lot of recruiting in my life and I've seen lots of employers make the mistake of thinking, you know, I've got a job, you've got to make me give it to you with a set of candidates. When in fact, you've almost got to go through the process thinking as soon as I identify somebody who will fit in my business and perform well, I've really got into go, go into overdrive really to sell my business to you yeah. to make you want to come to me. And that means, you know, culture, it means environment, it means colleagues, it means working practices, hours of work, what I'll allow you to do when I'll allow you to do it. So it's it's really difficult market, isn't it? And you've got to compete now with with some seriously big players to get the good employees to come to you and work for you. Yeah, and so then to stay you have you. to sell your business to them. Yeah. I mean, I don't think all of that was COVID. I think we're at a situation where employment's never been, uh, you know, unemployment has never been as low as it is now. 
Um, I don't know whether that's affected Brexit, but whether it is or not, you have to make your business stand out from the others because most candidates have more than one option when they come to see you. You're not the only person they're talking to, so is why would you want them to join you, make your business stand out? But also I think um, with my own children, what I found is that the sort of nine to five that used to be the employers when you were there and when you left at five o'clock, basically that was your time, you know, that's become much more blurred than ever was before, I think. So one of the like benefits of flexi working is that people now pick up messages or emails much more on an extended day basis. Quite often people will reply to an email in the evening or first thing in the morning. Um, so it does work both ways. I think, you know, the flexibility that people have is that they can take time off during the day and make it up in the evening. And as long as the job gets done, you know, for some jobs, that's good enough. It doesn't have to be done between the, you know, these two hours. Obviously, some some do, but where that's not the case, then um, the individual's got much more control over what they do and when they do it. That makes it far more important than perhaps it once was to have really well-defined roles and responsibilities and expectations, doesn't it? So you, yeah. you've... I've seen far too many environments where you've you've got staff who have a title and do a job, but nowhere can you find any reference to what that might mean in terms of activity and deliverables and processes that they might be responsible for. Yeah. So I think it's really important to make it clear from the word go what it is you're expecting from an employee. So, to, but you know, for nothing else, so they know what, when they've had a good day or a bad day or are they contributing what they're supposed to be contributing or not, but so that you can run your business knowing that you've got everything covered you should have. Yeah, and that they're accountable. Um, yeah. So people understand what their key performance indicators are, that they're getting measured against. And all of that moves into sort of performance management, which is all about making sure the job's clearly defined. Um, they have regular feedback as to how well they're doing those uh, roles. And also uh, what development they may need over time in terms of training, for example. Um, and even looking at um, where people are single points of failure in the business, which is often the case in small businesses, that there's a sort of succession plan where people buddy or, or, or you have job rotation, which means that you're less dependent on any one person in the organization. Because obviously that brings brings a risk if they're on holiday or if they go sick or if they leave the business, then Absolutely. the business is going to suffer unduly as a result of that. So you have to try and mitigate against that risk. I've, I've always found... Um one-to-ones work really well in a, a reporting line. So if you've got a team of, you know, two or three people or whatever, even more, if you have one-to-ones with the people reporting to you, and they don't have to be every week, they could be every other week or even maybe once a month, depending on what you're doing, but on a, on a relatively informal basis, just to allow a conversation to happen with, you know, how are you finding it? What are you, what, what are you finding a problem for yourself? What, what What's working? What isn't? And, and two-way feedback. So tell me how I'm doing as a manager. Is it working for you? Give me some constructive. Having that feedback loop to be able to develop relationships and make sure that everybody's on the same page delivering what they're supposed to be delivering and too many times we'll go into a business and you'll see people that don't have regular one-to-ones with staff well, or, or team. Never, never had an appraisal or never had an appraisal and that, I mean you just you think know, how how is that a I mean the, the sort of annual appraisal is a minimum really I mean oh, absolutely. it should be at least twice a year yeah, and preferably yeah. should be on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So nothing that they hear at that sixth month or annual appraisal is, is yeah. new. I mean, it should be just reinforcing what's already been shared. Absolutely. And, and getting a culture where they're, 
I mean, you, you hear the term blame culture quite a lot, but it, it, it is true that a lot of businesses operate on the basis that, you know, if something goes wrong, the first thing people want to do is find out who's responsible for it going wrong. Yeah. When actually what you really want to do is find out how to stop it happening again and not pin that on somebody, but just look at the processes involved and see how something can be changed to avoid it. But if you can build a culture where people are happy to critique each other and help each other get out of a problem and, and have a joint ownership of issues, you'll get a much more free-flowing machine, if you like, than developing a culture where people want to hide problems and then you know that, that then gets to festering and then you get all sorts of issues coming off the back of it. But it's difficult to achieve. It, it is difficult. It's a very difficult balance. And, then, and also with blame cultures, what happens is nobody volunteers for anything because yeah. they know that if the culture is that someone's going to get criticised for if you like putting their head above the parapet and doing something slightly more than they should have done, yep. then they won't. So they'll, they'll stick very rigidly to the, and, and so you won't get quite the same innovation and people taking inverted commas risks. So you have to be a bit careful that you don't want people to be cavalier and reckless, but at the same time, yeah. You need to try and encourage them to, if it makes sense and they can justify why they did something that they're not afraid to, overstep their responsibility if, if that's what it needs in that particular occasion and then maybe check back afterwards to to see whether that's what they should have done. That, that's an interesting point because you, you, you want to be able to develop innovation as well. And if, if you keep everybody locked into a very strict box of this is what you can and can't do, yeah. you don't get that um, innovative process of thought where somebody's sitting looking at what they're doing they well actually there's a much better way of doing this and I'll, I'll give that a try or I'll yeah. maybe raise it with my line manager and see if I can change it and that way you can develop and grow the business but you know doing something the same way you've always done it isn't necessarily the right way to do it no it's not and, and we've seen plenty of that in businesses and 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 for, for MDs when they're running the business quite often and and you've both come across this I'm sure is that you get to a point where the MD is doing everything and actually it's the MD that ends up holding the business back because they get to a million turnover and there's just too many plates to spin. Yeah. So they have to start to learn to delegate some work so that they get free up time to do the things they should be doing and yeah. not some of the things they are doing. And so that's a way of developing the people as well because you can select certain people who you then might start to structure in the organisation that they can take on more responsibility so that frees your time and that means somebody else is doing that maybe with a bit more focus than you could have given it if you'd carried on doing it yourself. So slowly over time, although it sounds very corporate and, and um, bureaucratic, you start to build a sort of tier organization. But that means that, that you can then start to spend more of your time thinking on the business at the top of the stack rather yeah. than having to spin all the plates every day, which invariably means that the revenue start to plateau. Because unless you change something, nothing's going to change. And therefore, whatever you've reached, you know, turnover, profitability, that, that normally doesn't change over time. And, and the frustration is you want to get to the next level, but you can't. And so you've got to stop and look at how you're spending your time. Normally, that means involving more people, delegating down the organization, structuring the organization. And the more, the more you do that, the better you do that, the more you'll then free your own time up to do some of the things that probably you're very good at doing, like selling, which you stop doing because you're spending too much time managing the business and less time in, in front of customers. That D word's huge, isn't it, the dele delegation? And, and it's, you need to have a little bit of bravery to, to adopt that because once you delegate a task you've been doing for many years to somebody new, it's unlikely they're going to do it as well as you the first time they do it. 
So you've almost got to sort of ride it with them whilst they get good at it. But over the long term, it's definitely the way to go because you say it frees you up to then do something else and build and you, you get rid of that bottleneck. Yeah, you, you shouldn't delegate and forget. I mean, you need yeah. to delegate and, and then get them to check back and say, okay, we'll come back in a week's time when you've done that and we'll go through it. Yeah. When it's quite clear they've actually grasped what it is you're giving them to do, then you can you know, delay that repeat meeting for some time because um, you've got confidence that actually it's being done as maybe even better than, than you were doing it because they've em- employed some newer techniques or different ways of doing it. Yeah. Or just the fact that they've got the time to do it which you didn't have yourself. One of the other things that's probably more more relevant now than it there ever has been is, is personal development. So you know, when somebody gets a job, they almost always will have their eye on, you know, how can I master this one and get on to the next one? And, and if you can provide that in your business, you'll prevent good people moving away to get a step up. So understanding that you've got a finite period of someone doing a job and you need to bring up someone behind them to take that over and then push up that person into a another job or a managerial role or whatever will keep them with you and and if they hold your vision for the business having more and more people that have been with you a while helps that happen but you again you need to be open with them in a you know one-to-ones and things about you know what what do you feel you need in terms of training maybe give them a training budget maybe maybe help them understand what would 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 give them more skill set for what it is they want to do in the future but unless you recognize that as an employer and help people achieve their own personal career goals, you'll, you'll just lose them. I mean, and training takes a number of different forms too. I mean, there's, there's obviously on-the-job training. You can buddy with people. You can job rotate people. I mean, some businesses, um, they have what they call sandwich surgeries where you come in over lunch and you just eat your own sandwiches around the conference room and people discuss different things they've learned or different approaches they've learned. And you, you can just learn from other people, other colleagues. It doesn't necessarily have to be a cost associated with that. Or, or you can get pizza brought in and, and just put you know three or four pizzas on the table and have people come in once once a month um, and share their you know, their success and sometimes their failures. So any, anything that causes people to learn, which means that they learn from other people, is um, is probably a good thing. I, I, something you touched on there, we don't see enough of, is is celebrating successes. The way to do that isn't necessarily with a opulent show of you know a, you know big party anything, but lots of little and often you know as you say have a, have a pizza or a few drinks in the pub or whatever, but recognise individual success successes and team successes regularly and that really builds confidence and trust and 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 builds a team feel um and and i always think as well if you're going to praise do it openly and and celebrate it hard and if there's reason not to praise you do it privately and and you know behind closed doors on a one-to-one basis and and not publicly which sounds obvious but i have (coughs) seen Many, many, many people. I can think of several clients where we have yeah, a, a pub, monthly public pub, flogging. Yeah, public dressing downs <laughs> yeah. don't, don't tend to be um, tend to be good news for most businesses, do they? Um, one thing we haven't touched on here, which we will do a completely new podcast on, is, is KPIs, which can be um, taken the wrong way when they're used. But I think having some kind of expectation setting target setting around jobs is definitely well worth having as well isn't it not not to check up on somebody but just so they know what good looks like yeah and and, and measurement is just uh, measuring otherwise you've got no means of knowing whether you're doing more this year than you did last year yeah. or whatever you know the, the, the culture tends to be 
important to the business and, and every business I work with, the culture is subtly different. There's yeah. no one size fits all for that. Yeah. So when, when we work with businesses, you have to be sensitive to the culture that's there. Now, sometimes that's not healthy. Maybe it is a blame culture. Maybe people are very much in the sort of tin hat, keep their head down and try and just avoid getting um, found out for, for any reason. So they don't want any exposure. Um, but that, that then can be a good thing. But on the bad side of that, people then aren't very innovative. They, they, they don't try and look for new ways of doing things because they think they might be shouted down or whatever. So, um, so getting the culture right with the people that you have is actually quite important. And then, of course, recruiting people that are going to fit into that culture, whatever it turns out to be, is, uh, is often critical as to whether that's going to succeed. I think that comes back to what you said earlier about onboarding as well. When you do have a new recruit, you need to be very careful during that first two or three months to make sure <clears> they're given all the tools, all the knowledge, all the experiences and relationships to be able to make the job work for them and yeah. for you and, and to make sure they fit in. You know, too many times I see people recruiters given a desk and a chair and there's you, there's you and there's your job yeah. and uh, I'll give you a call in a couple of months <laughs> so, and, and they wonder why when they go back the person's floundering around without knowing what they're doing well, so a nice structured induction is what you need I think. There are things like Thomas International you know profiling and things like that which people have used for years in terms of trying to find out what sort of person you are there's no right or wrong answer to those yeah. types of tests it's just trying to understand what you are yeah. um i use something called pack types um, which is like um putting people into becoming a dog so you have 52 <laughs> cards or whatever it was and when you've turned up for your first interview um they told you to go through these words and take out the 12 words that most described you um, and it, it difficult at first, but then you have to filter and filter again, filter again. And then when you've done all that, you turn them over and on the other side of each of those words, there'll be a dog. So it tries to work out whether you're a sort of Rottweiler person or a poodle sort of person. And important for teams, because if you've got a team full of poodles, you don't want another poodle. You want a Rottweiler or sure. a sheepdog. I'm not quite or, sure how I take being either, actually. It's like, well, congratulations, Richard, you're was, a Rottweiler. Thanks for that. Or no, no, you're a poodle. Well, oh, okay. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting in the sense <laughs> that it tries to get the aggressive people and, and the people who were very submissive, because you don't want more of the same within the team, because you, you yeah. know, like... Um, um, you know the team. The team environment needs to have a blend of all sorts of different types if you're going to be yeah. successful. I think a, a more sophisticated version of that was um, Myers Briggs. Do you remember that with the ENTP? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, you know, introvert, yeah. extrovert. Yeah, that that was quite that an interesting model, and and none of that was offensive as as opposed to what well, you just described, which, I'm not which sure. is all of it. I don't think anyone was ever offended by it. In fact, interestingly, I, <laughs> were, you, I did were you a poodle or a rottweiler? Oh, I'm not going to say. I, I, I did it. I did it twice actually. And what was I found interesting was when I used to work. I was used to call myself a business advisor. I came at one sort of profile, right? And then I changed um, with Growth Accelerator into becoming a coach. Yeah. And when I took it twelve months later. I, it definitely changed because coaching was more about getting other people to do things. Yeah. Um, whereas the first one was sort of taking on responsibility and doing it yourself. Yeah. And it definitely came out from the result from doing the test. I mean, I'm not saying that this is the, the best way of doing it or right. the only way of doing it, but it, it was a bit of fun. And, and even during sandwich surgeries, teams have started to do that and they just have a bit of a laugh about it. But, but there is a serious side to it. So if you're, if you're a to, good supervisor, 
candidate? Would you be a sheepdog then or something? Is that- yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> not somebody that organises. Yes, I mean, you, you certainly wouldn't want somebody you couldn't organise. Yeah, I'm not sure whether we should be recommending that, but yeah. I'm not, I'm just saying that there's, <laughs> there's other tests that you can apply there to is. assess. Yeah. Uh, the, the things that are difficult to assess during an interview process, yeah. um, because they, they're sort of below the sort of superficial level that you talk to yeah, people yeah, at. Yeah. Okay. So things like Thomas International and, and other tests are a way of trying to get below that and, yeah, and try to understand what exactly what you type of character yeah. you are. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a, an interesting note to end this one on, I think. And our our next <laughs> our next uh, podcast is on KPIs, I think, which we touched on there, but we'll go into a, a little bit more detail. Detail, yeah. To get all the episodes of Minding Your Own Business automatically on your favourite podcast app, just click follow or subscribe.